hello, our saucer friends. Hello, everybody. This is a good one today. Yes, we're very excited. I am going to show you if you're yes. on YouTube and you should be. Um, what I'm wearing <laughs> today. Can you see what it says? Is it? Yeah. More self love with a rose mm -hmm. and featuring Alyssa's nipples. <laughs> so check really. it out now. <laughs> on YouTube, as was with Pauline Alyssa. Um, we are, you guessed it, talking about self-love today. Talking about nipples? <laughs> <laughs> you guessed it, talking about my nipples. My OnlyFans <laughs> account is... <laughs> right? Make that money. Um, but seriously, DM us if you think we should get OnlyFans. Um, yeah, thinking about it. We are going to be talking to Dr. Amelia Ruby. Um, she is so amazing. She is, she just wrote a book called 50 Feminist Mantras. It's going to be out in a couple weeks from now, October 6th. So please pre-order it. And if you're on the fence, you're going to listen to this interview and realize, oh shit, I need that. Yes. Uh, man or woman, mm -hmm. but, um, she's amazing. So she's the host of a podcast called 50 Feminist States and then, like I said, 50 Feminist Mantras is her book that you can pre-order now. You can head to her website at AmeliaRuby.com. You can follow her at Amelia Joe, J-O, Ruby, H-R-U-B-Y. And her book is at 50 Feminist Mantras. And her podcast is at 50 Feminist State. So please follow her. Please yes. show her some love. And like I said, you are going to buy this book after you hear this interview. Yeah, for sure. She's extremely inspirational. And it's such a relevant conversation to literally everybody. I, I believe men as well. I really, really feel it's important. So without further ado... Let's bring her on. All right. Welcome to the pod, Amelia. Dr. So Amelia Ruby. Dr. Molly, come on. <laughs> I know. I know. Seriously, though, that is a massive accomplishment. And Thank you. Yeah. I'm, congratulations. That's huge. Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. You, she was just telling us before we got on that she just got her PhD in June. So I am, like Molly said, I'm so impressed. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. And we're so lucky to have you on um, to talk about everything we're going to be talking about today. But first, we want to get right into it. And if you can tell us your uh, your SOS moment. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the moment that I broke up with diet culture. Like yes. There, yes. the day I'm about to hit my two year anniversary of Woo! that SOS moment. Oh, my moment. God. Yes. It is the moment when everything like my self-loathing really like hit a bottom or a peak or whichever mm -hmm. metaphor you want and I decided everything had to change and it did from that September 20th 2018 on so wow. that's our SOS moment for today that All I'm right. excited to talk about. Damn you remember the date that's amazing yeah that's um it's so powerful just like honestly just shifting your mindset your whole like you said everything changes if you decide to look at things differently it's crazy. Yeah. And the cold turkey aspect is interesting me so much. But before we get into that, I'm really interested in like, you know, when you were younger, like what was your relationship with yourself like? And, and was it representative of the women that you kind of were raised around? Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question. I love talking about the women who have been influences in my life. And I would say when I was younger, I was a pretty confident kid. I loved to talk. 
Uh, my family always tells these stories about how if anyone was over, I would make everyone come to the living room and sit <laughs> on the couch and I'd be like, let's chat. And I would just <laughs> talk to people. That's <laughs> I so loved, cute. Um, yeah, I had this like real enthusiasm for other humans and mm-hmm. stories. And um, and I think that followed through for quite a while in my life and until kind of like middle school. That's when it all gets hard, right? So yeah. I definitely, there were moments where I really started to doubt myself. I had a lot of issues with self-confidence kind of starting in those preteen years. And I had wonderful, amazing, strong women in my mm-hmm. life as role models and leaders. I um, grew up living with my mom and my aunt um, and my dad and my brother. My mom and my aunt were in the house and their sisters and super close and really gregarious, strong women. So they were yeah. great influences for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I just finished my PhD, I wrote thank you notes to my second grade teacher, who was a oh. huge influence, to Aww. the principal from my elementary school, who was oh, a huge wow. influence. Oh, my gosh. Um, both of whom were women. So I feel like I grew up with role models who were just like women who worked hard mm-hmm. and did their best to feel good about themselves, even though they lived in a, within a lot of narratives in the South and that challenged uh, that. Um, I grew up in North Carolina mm-hmm. okay. and, you know, that definitely shaped who I am today. I, I think I started out as a little girl who was like very confident and that lapsed for probably a decade and a half. And then, yeah, a couple of years ago, I really decided to get it back. And and that's been a journey too. Did you realize like how lucky you were to be surrounded by like women like that when you were growing up? Like, did you recognize it in your peers and the other girls your age that might not have been as confident as you? Like, did you notice like, wow, well, those words are negative about themselves. Like, I, I know I'm taught not to think that way. And did you have that kind of realization? Yeah, I think yes and no. I, I'm i not sure it showed up in terms of negative self-talk. I feel like I still pretty, a lot of like patriarchy and misogyny really stuck and like was internalized and stuck in my head. But what I did see a lot growing up is just how lucky I was to have women in my family and schools who saw me and saw that I was smart and confident and nourished that. And I had so many friends who didn't have that, uh, whether it be at home or at school or somewhere else. Yeah. And yeah. they really had to work really hard to seek validation and struggled with that so much in their confidence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I never a single day in my life have had to wonder if my mom had my back, even when right. she doesn't understand what I'm doing or why I'm doing <laughs> it. Like I always yeah. knew I was loved and supported. And that changes everything. I feel really. Yeah. Lucky. And when for sure, I think I know middle school is probably the most common time for this to happen in all of us because I remember this too it's like but I want to hear your experience about when your like your relationship with your body and your self-worth kind of started to shift when that conversation internal dialogue started to happen yeah um so I went on my first diet uh summer after fifth grade going into sixth grade so I must have been about 11 or 12 um I started calorie counting and lifting weights at home. I, I couldn't couldn't even join a gym. I wasn't old enough. Was this like um, you starting it? Sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm curious yeah. if like, was it like someone in your family being like, okay, let's start this? Or were you like, I need to get, was it fully self-started? Um, 
no one in my family told me I needed to be on a diet, but I definitely was watching even these like strong women I admired around me. Yeah. I was watching them all be on diets. So I while I did not, I know a lot of people who experience direct criticism from family members about their weight. Mm-hmm. And I didn't experience that, but it was just modeled. It was like, yep. you are, if you want to feel good about yourself, go on a diet. That's what I learned. And yeah. so I did that because I wanted to go into sixth grade feeling, oh my I don't gosh. even know what, <laughs> feeling attractive <laughs> like to boys, a I guess. woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The sixth grader in me. I can like distinctly remember this like pink peasant top I was so into and I got a hair straightener that year and it was such a big deal. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely, that's when it started. It was, I, I decided to go on that diet and then I dieted, I mean, basically, yeah, from age 11 to 27. Wow. Yeah, must have been. And um, an exercise on and off. I also have a very clear memory of the day that sometime in middle school, when I hit like a size 14, and I grew up in a pretty small town, we would like go to the mall an hour away and mm. try to buy clothes at American Eagle was Me like too. my mecca. <laughs> Um, and I, I do remember that day and my mom basically being like, they don't have sizes bigger than this, so you can't get any bigger than this. Um, and that was heartbreaking. That is still a heartbreaking memory for me and definitely impacted just a lot of self-doubt and restriction yeah. and kind of where everything went from there. Yeah. Did you, you think, sorry, go oh, ahead, sorry. <laughs> I, I hate Zoom, man. We do this all um, the time. I, I was just going to say, um, you know, how much of it do you think it, those feelings kind of started in middle school? Because then you have more it's more from the outside. You know, your family is very supportive of you, like you said. And it's like can start with peers. Did it start with like peers at school? And then we get we all start comparing ourselves around that age, too. Is it kind of like a school environment where where it kind of started to really seep in? Yeah, I think it was a combination of school and I like I put this. I don't I guess I don't need to say anything delicately. Yeah. I really wanted to date. Even in like sixth grade, I was like, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. here. I can handle a relationship. I wanna yeah. kiss people. I like was so just like my hormones were so charged so early. Yeah. And I think that more than anything is really what kind of started so much comparison that I didn't have before when I was just right in elementary school it was like I was always a smart kid and that was my whole identity and that was kind of all that mattered to a certain degree mm-hmm. um and that but in middle school once you like brought those sorts of relationships into the equation there was just so much more direct comparison and I really yeah. kind of lost that that ground where I understood myself I didn't I couldn't find it anymore Yeah. I mean, like, like what are we to do at such a young age when we're being fed so many things subconsciously or consciously and directly of what is going to appeal to the opposite sex or whatever sex you want to appeal Mm -hmm. to, you know, Uh, (laughs) like every movie, every, every TV show, it's like, oh, okay. So that girl's getting the guy. So therefore I need to be exactly like her. So like, how did you because yeah. you had you, you you were dieting, but I wonder because you you were a feminist. It sounds like because of the women you surrounded yourself that you were innately a feminist if you didn't you know call yourself one yet or didn't know how to define it. So how did you navigate through that and and still kind of 
um, I guess find a way to still love, love, uh, and accept who you are as a woman, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think that I definitely wish I had some like feminist language and understanding earlier, like, right. or like a more robust knowledge base because, yeah. well, I definitely like knew that I was smart and strong and funny and could do anything that boys could ever do and felt good about that. I didn't have any of the sorts of critiques of patriarchy or a diet culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, most 12 year olds don't, but I didn't find them until probably I was more like 25, 26. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it wasn't until I really understood those bigger structures. It wasn't until feminism for me became less about like, my individual ability as a woman that was equal to or in my opinion superior to many men. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i had feminism had to get bigger than that for me it had to become like about structures and systems and mm -hmm. i could start to see myself in those and once i could get that once mm. i realized like oh there are entire industries trying to make me believe that being thin mm. is the most important thing about me no matter what my other good qualities are. And once I could see like, oh, the the diet, literal diet industry selling pills and fads and things, but also the fashion industry and yep. healthcare and all these mm -hmm. other systems, yeah. once I could see like, oh, I feel this way because they're making me feel this way. Right. Then it all started to click into place. But yeah, I think in the beginning when I was younger, even being a, a budding feminist, I just, I felt like it was, on me to be the best and part of that was still being thin i didn't understand that yeah. um, no, I mean, being thin was oppressive yet but right. we, we were all no, doing honestly. those things like i like for me it was just i needed to sh fucking get every piece of hair off my body like i'm an italian yeah. but like i am more body hair than i like yeah. i just was like i was made fun of all the time and i was just yeah. no matter what but i was still I found confidence. I don't, you know, it's, we all have podcasts. We all have confidence in some way. That's why we're here. But it, it's, it's crazy because you can be both. You can be, you can love yourself, but also have this, this deep insecurity that we're fed since we're young and we don't know yeah. or have the language until we're older to figure out how to fix it. Did, did and other girls, I'm so sorry. Did other girls like around you, friends have the same sort of view, viewpoint as you did? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. From childhood through now, I so mm. many women in my life struggle with insecurity or even deeper, just like self-loathing or. Yeah. Um, and they still know and believe that they're badass. Right. Like, yeah, it's not right. that they're just like in a pit of self-pity or sorrow. Right, <laughs> like, right. They they hold both. I think we all do. And and yeah. I think even now I've come really far on my self-love journey, but it's a practice. It's not like it's done. I didn't like Oh, every I didn't day. Get, yeah. It's like a new is, right? Like a reset. Like, okay, how do I want it where do I want to live in my mind today? Yeah. Because it's yeah. not a given that if yesterday was great that tomorrow is going to be. But I and it's interesting because you know, what you're describing, and then Alyssa, what you're describing, these different beauty standards that there's so many that are put on women. And so then, it, and it's easy for us, like growing up to look at other girls who don't have our specific issue and be like, mm -hmm. well, they have, they have it figured out. And then you, and then come to like, like Alyssa, you're teeny, you're so tiny, but then you're there with like, uh, like so self-conscious about all your body hair. And, and then, and I was like always made fun of as we middle school, high school, as we started or 
some girls started to develop, I had like no curves. And it was like, and then it was all the girls are getting boobs and they have butts and then the guys want that. And then it was like super insecure about just like having like an eight year old boy's body. And like yeah. there's, and so then when you really look at it, it's not even like you can't escape it because every girl, mm. no matter what her body type is, has something yeah. because we're told so many things. And so I think you're right. I like that you said a lot of the women who you know who believe that they're badasses and believe in themselves, it doesn't, you don't exterminate this. We are grown up yeah. for generations. We're raised in this culture. And it's just, I think, um, like you said, it's how you not learn to live with it as, as though you like let it be, and, but like challenge the system, but you learn to accept certain parts of yourself. Like what are you, some of your date? I don't know if this is skipping ahead, but like kind of, <laughs> Or I guess, okay, I'll rephrase it. But how did you, when you got to that moment where you were just like, I'm fed up with this. This is a waste of time, like your actual SOS moment. And then how did your daily practices shift in terms of your your mental, daily mental practices? Yeah. So for that SOS moment, I'll just kind of lead yeah, up, you can, tell the yeah. story of how that happened. And yeah. I'll just say here for anyone tuning in that I'm going to talk a little bit about um, binging and some uh, obsessive exercise issues. So if you can't listen to that, I'd skip ahead a minute or two. But um, basically in the summer of 2018, I was in between like jobs and projects and I was staying at my parents' house for a while and I was feeling pretty low about myself. I was just, not I'm in my best place. And I slipped back into a cycle I'd been in, as I said, since I was young. I was like, oh, I don't feel good about myself. Well, I'll lose weight because once I do that, then I feel I'll feel better. Mm -hmm. Like I'll be thinner and I'll feel better. I think, you know, for me, it's weight. As we've talked about for other people, it's probably like, oh, well, I'll fix my hair or I'll fix my skin or I'll Mm -hmm. um, do whatever I have to do. And then once I make that change to my body, then I will suddenly feel better about my life. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was staying at my parents' place and I decided that the way I was going to feel better was going to be to try to lose X number of pounds. I don't even remember how many. It was probably like 20 or 50 or honestly, the numbers changed yeah. daily. So, mm-hmm. um, and so I started dieting. I went on a really restrictive calorie counting diet and I was exercising like for an hour or more, three or times a day at least. And wow. I wow. injured, yeah, I injured my knee. I injured my neck. And I felt way worse than I ever had before. And I literally woke up one morning. It was September 20th, 2018. I woke up that morning and I just felt like the pain, the physical and emotional pain that I was in was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I kind of looked at myself in a probably a literal mirror and a metaphorical mirror and was just like, you can hold on to this self-hatred and keep doing this over and over again and wreck your body like it's health and well-being or you can stop and when I once Mm -hmm. I said that to myself I just had this real moment of clarity that like I was done and I had to stop I was gonna get really hurt if I didn't stop I was gonna get really sick if I didn't stop Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to keep living that way I didn't I just didn't want to keep hating myself and yeah it sounds of course simple in some ways and I don't quite know what the I've always wanted to look up like the astrology for that day to be like, what happened that I could make this choice? Yeah. Like what what was happening that like led to yeah. this like SOS moment of like 
Well, you know Jordan, right? She could maybe. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, need, I need to get Jordan, uh, your say. podcast resident astrologer. Yes. <laughs> She'll give me up. up. Look for it real, up for she, me. she would and she'd, yeah, down with it. Yeah, I, I would love to know because it was really just like this clear, it was a moment. It was like a turning point. I was either mm-hmm. going to go and like lose more weight than ever and be more hurt and sick than ever, or I was just going to stop. And so that mm-hmm. morning, I finally got out of bed. I took a shower. I put on some of my favorite clothes that um, a friend of mine had actually sewn for me. It's so like handmade things. Uh. And I went outside my parents' house into their garage, and I set up my phone on, like, the car, and I took a bunch of selfies to celebrate. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I love I that. that. Yeah. And Did- I have not dieted since then. I have not been in a gym since then. I um, only move when it feels good to me yeah. since then. Yeah. It's been a real turning point. That's amazing. Was it hard to like, obviously something like deep and powerful moved you to do that. And that like, you're very, you were very convicted in that. And I wonder like, what would, did you still have to come up with um, ways to get yourself out of like that spiral on certain days where you almost would go back to that? Oh yeah, definitely. I think that, Mm. um, I the conviction of that moment is shocking even to me and how strong it was because normally mm-hmm. I don't I don't have that kind of strength emotional strength yeah, I guess yeah. to be honest mm-hmm. um, but I think that I do a lot of things to keep from going back there and one of them the first thing I started doing was just naming it for myself like was having a bad day and realizing oh I'm having a bad day so I'm thinking about trying to lose weight again yeah and and like once I connected those two things then I could just kind of see how they were happening and I still do that to this day I'll talk to my partner and be like I the other day it was like I had a dream about middle school and this guy I dated and I woke up and felt like I needed to lose x number of pounds like it's so deep (laughs) Mm -hmm. in my subconscious and unconscious that the, it'll pop up whether it's a good day or a bad day, like a, a dream can do it to me. So mm-hmm. the first thing I really started doing was just naming it. And then it's been helpful in some cases to share it with people. Um, yeah. Just like certain, I've had to kind of, I have certain friends that we've talked about this together and we are, we support each other specifically on this. And so mm-hmm. we can just kind of reach out if we're having a bad, um, like negative self-talk or body judgment day. Mm-hmm. And say like hey I'm in this kind of weird space this came up for me and so naming that and having social support has been good the other thing I do a lot that's been like a big thing for me on Instagram is I've built a really um wonderful selfie practice that has helped me um really cultivate self-love and I've, I've done that over the past few years and I never thought I was never a person who took selfies in my underwear and put them on the internet, but now I do it all the time. Yes. <laughs> and I, I love, love that. It. I'm still like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, little, mm-hmm. we'll give you guys yeah. a little bit. <laughs> I never, it's like totally. so hard I mean, to get confidence like that. That's, it's amazing. And I love them. Yeah. It's, it is really, it's a funny thing. And I don't think it's a solution for everyone. I'm not like, I don't think just putting a, a photo of yourself in your underwear on Instagram is going to like solve it. No, we want everyone to go people. to OnlyFans immediately. Okay. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, but I just think that for, for me particularly, so I guess what I haven't said since, like since that SOS moment, I've gained, I don't even know, I would guess 50 pounds. I really don't know how mm-hmm. much weight, a significant amount of weight. 
you know, I've got new stretch marks on my stomach just since quarantine started. Mm -hmm. My body has changed pretty dramatically. And so selfies were the way that I, instead of of avoiding that, which is what I used to do when Mm -hmm. I didn't like how my body looked or felt, I would just refuse to look at myself. Mm -hmm. Selfies became this way of like just being with my body, just saying, all right. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to look at myself today and not simply in a mirror, but in a way where I love selfies because I love photographs and I love how you get a shape, like construct the image. So a selfie became a way I could really play with loving certain parts of my body and, um, the ones I struggled with the most and exploring Mm -hmm. them and documenting them. And that practice has been really, really powerful over the past two years. That's beautiful because I always, I often wonder why it's so easy for us um, as people probably, but definitely as women, like we can all look at photos of other women of all ranges of sizes and shapes and colors and everything and and find the beauty in it. Like almost immediately, I can look at pictures of so up close pictures of people's faces, the kind that when it's of you, you're like cringing. But when I look up close at so many different faces and I see so much beauty and so much like I I love it and then when we look at ourselves in the same way it's like why can't I why why do I get hung up on these stupid little things that if it's someone else's face and and if they would point out something different it's like the way we view ourselves is so skewed I don't know if it's ever possible to completely correct that but I think what you're saying like you doing that I think that's an incredibly powerful and important thing to do because and I've heard that from a couple people. I had another friend that had extreme issues with self-confidence. Um, and she said that she just, she's like, I literally would sit in the in front of the mirror, um, like for half of the day and tell myself, like, you have, like, your skin is beautiful. You're f-, and, and like, I would cry and I felt stupid. And she's like, I, I did that long enough until I started to believe it. And it's like, we have to normalize other things in culture we also have to normalize ourselves to ourselves. And it's also, because I'm thinking about it too, about just, you know, when you're talking about like seeing other women and and being in awe of their confidence. And I just feel like I do that too. But in my head, I'm also just like, that's, is that Facetune? Is that Facetune? Is that Facetune? Is that surgery? Is that surgery? And I just feel like we're so numb to it that I, I, I know, I never know whether or not like I can accept this image for what it is because I've face tuned certainly, of course, mm-hmm. you know, it like doesn't matter how small I am. Like I'll always want to make sure I'm looking the smallest, like possible. So it's, it's so important to have, um, women like you to, to kind of put up a middle finger to that bullshit, you know? And I was going to ask you this earlier about like how you feel. Cause I know it's a complicated thing. Like, cause I, I say surgery and I feel like the Kardashian-ness of it all is so, um, like it overwhelms our, our, our beauty standards. So I, like, how do you feel about that? Like getting the surgery to feel how you feel and like your, actually your opinions on the Kardashians in general. um I a bit a big part of my feminist politics and particularly my fat feminist politics and reproductive justice politics is just like a deep commitment to body bodily autonomy and so I think that people should have 
everyone, I think everyone should have the right to make decisions about their own body. And so Mm -hmm. in terms of plastic surgery, I think that if that's a choice that someone's making for themselves, then I'm going to support that choice. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of what you're pointing to, why it's complicated is because there are people who, particularly through social media, like present themselves as an aspirational standard and monetize that to, you know, with like, as we're told with Kylie Jenner, like the billion dollar degree. Mm -hmm, (laughs) So it gets more complicated when what you're doing with your body, what you're using your body to influence other people's choices about their bodies. I do think that gets kind of complicated, particularly when you're talking about that, like, is it Facetune? Is it Botox? Is it a facelift? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't talk about that. A friend of mine actually, I just did this on Instagram. Um, she like put up a selfie and was like, in the morning, and I was like, oh, that's cute, great, love it. And in the afternoon, she put up another selfie where she was just like, everyone loved my selfie this morning, and I'm so grateful, and I want you all to know. And then she put this story up that was just like Botox fillers. Like X, Y, Z, like all these things that this work that she had done. And I thought that was so brave and powerful. And I really respected that because because I when I looked at that, I realized that in the morning I had had that sort of like, oh, I wish my skin looked that nice moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And her just being open about and I like the choices that she made made me realize like, oh, it made me realize I'd been comparing myself, which I hadn't Mm -hmm. even consciously like clock yeah, for myself right and then it helped me see like oh okay I could also make those choices I could like Botox and microblade if I decided to <laughs> um, and I haven't but mostly because I don't have the money not because I have a like moral dilemma with it right 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 so I think that 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 was just really transformational for me and like watching her do that I was like hell yes thank you yeah so what um because we want everybody to pre-order your book and like really dive into this with I mean there's so much to get into and you have such a beautiful perspective on it and I kind of want to know what uh prompted you to even start the book and you know for people to pre-order kind of like your best little like who were you who are you aiming for when you wrote something like that who would the best people be to reach out to yeah Thanks for asking. I yeah. pulled my book out so I could show it Yay. on your YouTube channel. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's feminist gorgeous. Wow. That's, like a, that's a gorgeous cover, by the way. Thank yeah, you. Um, I will shout out my friend Emily Janes, who designed it. I'm trying to oh. find a pretty interior page. It's got some really nice illustrations that she did oh, inside beautiful. as well. Um, I love that. Yeah, so my book, 50 Feminist Mantras, will be out October 6th. And this book was a real journey of me kind of writing my like coming to feminism not as a narrative but as like a series of mantras that will help other people develop their feminist values so Mm. the book is an illustrated journal that Mm. has 50 mantras with short writings by me and journaling questions and lines and activities it's organized seasonally so you can kind of start at whatever season you're in and move through a whole year with the book and the idea is my my intention is that in doing so you would cultivate feminist values in your life things like mm. um things like emphasizing cyclical process processes instead of linear progress yeah things like um cultivating a deep sense of community and rejecting individualism 
things like mm. self-love and not self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Those are all like important feminist values to me. So in the book, I'll have a mantra like grow slow, which is a popular one I've done. And I'll talk about how learning to grow slow is a way of rejecting the forces of capitalism in our life. It's a way of letting things be easier and letting ourselves be less productive and taking care of ourselves and each other Mm -hmm. that if we do that, we'll actually have a lot more well-being. And I think that's just a feminist project. So I'll talk about that. And then there will be journaling (laughs) questions about like, how can you uh, invite slowness into your morning routine? How can you move a little slower this week? Things like that. So that's what's in the book. And I, I mean, I think it's for I say in the like dedication that it's for anyone's like feminine and feminist self. Mm-hmm. I think that's true regardless of gender. A lot of people ask me like, "Is this book for men?" And I'm like, "If they would like it, <laughs> if yeah. they want to become, <laughs> Any- if, um, if they want to have a more feminist life, then yeah, it's for mm-hmm. them." Yeah. Um. I I definitely write from the perspective of a woman, and like I'm always calling out patriarchy and misogyny and sexism. So that's there, but I think mm-hmm. men need to do that work too. So right. it's, it's for anyone who wants to deepen their feminist practice. How long did that's it take so you to write? Cute. So I wrote it over the course of a year. Um, I actually wrote a a feminist mantra every Monday on Instagram. And then I compiled those into the book. Um, So so the writing process was a little different than some because I was kind of doing it slowly over time. Well, that's you were kind of practicing what you preach, living slowly. (laughs) But also it's cool that it was created over a year because, as you said, if you follow along the activities, it'll take you through a year. So it's kind yeah. of full circle moment. But I love that because there are so many great books out there and it's there's so many things that you can read and are inspirational. And you're like, wow, that's great. But applying it to your own life is an entirely different story. And mm-hmm. if you're reading something like like yours that actually invites you to apply it and critically think for your apply it to your own life as you go, you don't get that feeling. You know, sometimes when you read like a book, uh, like some type of self-help book or something like that. And you're, you're just filled with so much information at the end and it you loved it and it was so great. But then you're just like, now what? Like, yeah, what yeah. do I, now I know all these things, but like, I'm still looking in the mirror and like hating what I see, you know? And so I, I really am yeah. excited to get your book and to a- follow along. And I really encourage yeah, people too. to do the same. Yeah. I, 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 I wonder too, like, when you were writing it, did you, was there a lot of stuff that came up while you were doing it? Were you finding it hard to kind of practice what you preach while you were writing it? Like, were there challenges along the way? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, um, I have this conversation with my friend, Taylor Morrison, who runs a self-care company called Inner Workout. Mm. And she is always calling me, like, feeling some imposter syndrome, being like, I can't run a self-care company because I haven't done any self-care in weeks. And (laughs) I'm always calling her being like, how can I be selling these feminist mantras about going slower when I have booked every moment of my calendar this month? (laughs) And I um, am also like, I'm out here being like, grow slow. And I'm also the person who finished a book, finished editing a book and defended my dissertation in the first three months right. of the pandemic, right? Like um, I'm still a Capricorn sun or Capricorn rising no matter what. So I'm, I work really hard. And what Taylor and I always tell each other every time is just that the challenges that you face and like have to overcome again and again and again are the ones that you are best suited to 
teach mm. and lead on because you have practice. Uh, I have so right. much practice slowing down because I am constantly speeding up. Yeah, you're so, right. That's definitely. And it, it takes away the like novelty or the like facade of like, no, we're all human. Even the people that have write the rest, write the best like workout books or the best like cookbooks, like they still have days where they probably eat ramen. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. nobody <laughs> lives fully one thing. We're fluid beings. And, and that is like you said, it's the rigidity of a capitalist society that we live in, that we we have to constantly practice to break from. But mm -hmm. I really like that you said that because it's it's just being easier on yourself, right? Yeah. Self-forgiveness. Uh, I did another interview recently where someone asked me, like, what's the, the biggest lesson I've learned since uh, going into uh, social distancing? And I mm -hmm. said it was self-forgiveness. Just, like, mm -hmm. learning to, yeah. for, like, let go of my rigid expectations for myself yes. and trust that I know what I'm doing and forgive myself when I mess it up. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs> That's the hardest part, honestly. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> what? Um, um, I was yeah, going to say, but be well, before we let you go, I, I, I'm just super interested to, to, to hear what your advice would be if you sat down with like your younger self or, you know, the younger girls listening right now that are, are, are struggling with self-love and confidence. Um, like what advice you would give them? Yeah. It's loaded. <laughs> I should have, I should have a good answer to this. And I, I, I don't have one. I have to think it through. No, you do. Just say, read uh, my book. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'll just hand them my book. It's all there. Um, in a certain sense it is. Um, yeah. but I think that for my younger self, what I would say is do everything you can to make space for yourself and figure out the things that you love and try to learn. I, when I look at my younger self, I have so much just like, oh, she was trying so hard. But, um try to learn to take back your power for yourself. That's mm. what I would want to say to my younger mm. self because I just gave it all away in so many relationships mm. that really impacted. I, I spent most of my late teens and early 20s trying to build my self-confidence through romantic relationships. And I, yeah. I wish if I had spent that time hanging out by myself with my cat, like <laughs> it would have been worlds yeah. of difference. So, yeah. so I guess I would just say like, Get, spend time getting to know yourself more than you spend time getting to know everybody else. That's the mm. advice I needed as an eternal extrovert. Wow, that's really good advice. I think yeah. that's good advice um, forever. But yeah. I wish someone told me that when I was younger too, because, wow, that's yeah. great. I think I like fell into that just because the guys that were around were just so lame and I was like nah I'm gonna sit <laughs> home by myself and <laughs> I like figure that out just because the guys were lame um that's great power you, to you <laughs> do you do you have like hope for the like how do you see like with like how the <laughs> kind of like the <laughs> what's the word the kind of um vibe for lack of a better word of like where we're going as far as women and, and taking taking their power back yeah do you kind of hope I always have hope <laughs> yeah. um, I mean I a friend recently described my work as like 
always radical and relentlessly positive. And so Mm. I really do like have a very radical approach to my feminism. And I, I think that so much in the world needs to be changed and abolished. And Mm -hmm. I am very principled about that. But at the same time, I, I have to be relentlessly positive and have hope. And so I think that right now there is a lot happening in terms of the development of feminist consciousness and anti-racist consciousness in the U.S. And Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know what is going to come of that yet. Um, I also know that the astrology for the rest of this year is like the hardest in the, like we've had in ages. So I think it's going to probably get a lot worse before it gets better, which feels painful to admit. But, um, but I have a lot of hope. I, especially when I look at, younger women and gender non-conforming and non-binary folks I taught during my PhD I taught at a university and so I really got to see at first my students were millennials and then by the end of my program they were Gen Z and I just mm. the shift in like the gender and sexuality classes I taught how tentative students were at first and how like unabashedly confident they were mm. in their queerness by the end I was like this is wow. that to me is like where my hope for changing the world lies. Like my students inspired me to be a lot more confident Yeah, as a queer woman. And I, I just hope to keep learning from them. And I mean, yeah, the kids yeah. are doing it all, especially I'm in Chicago right now. And oh, okay. the youth leaders of these movements are hardcore and amazing. So oh, I have hope amazing. in the next generation and my own and our own. But, yeah. Yeah. But also I know. In them. <laughs> <laughs> Millennials are there. We're there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you well, so much. Amelia. Thank you so much. This conversation um, is so important. And I think it's just the more we spread it, the more we have it. Mm-hmm. I think your book is incredibly important for that reason. Like, and for you coming on and sharing this with our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you both. It was, this was a real joy. I've been looking forward yeah. to it all week, and I, I can't wait for other folks to hear it. Okay. Oh, my God. I feel rejuvenated. Thank you again so much, Dr. Amelia Ruby. You, uh, It's so important to have conversations like this because, as we talked about, like no matter what size you are, no matter what skin color you have, no matter what background, whatever, whatever, you're never going to feel adequate. We're taught not to feel adequate. It's how the patriarchy mm-hmm. designed it. We are supposed to, because capitalism, like we need to buy these yeah. pills to make us skinnier. We need to buy this makeup to make every pore disappear. We need to buy, get lip injections because we need DSLs. <laughs> like We need <laughs> to just be as appealing to men as mm-hmm. possible. But if we just take our power back, it's a done yeah. fucking deal. I know. And it's, and I do, I just really appreciate her, you know, she's so open and honest, but like, you know, being honest with the fact that it's not, nobody ever fully has this figured out. It's like, as women, especially, I think we need to remember, there's not this destination we get to where we, every single day from there on out, we wake up feeling great and powerful and beautiful all the time, every day. Yeah. That's not even a thing, but the thing, it's like a, it's a daily practice and the way that she explained, you know, how she, how she moves through that every day. Cause we're all fluid beings and our emotional states and our mental states and everything. And just creating those tools for yourself and as, you know, as early in life as possible yeah. to create less 
issues. Grows <laughs> grow slowly. I, I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and for this episode is Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet Action is an organization that creates consequences for sexism by holding politicians and thought leaders accountable to all women. They run grassroots lobbying campaigns to pass or defend legislation that will benefit all of our lives. They demonstrate the demand and create political pathways for policies that center women, especially women of color, indigenous women, immigrants, and LGBTQ people. By working directly with lawmakers and mobilizing constituents, Ultraviolet protects and expands health, safety, and security for millions of women. To learn more and to donate, please visit weareultraviolet.org. Perfect. And ladies and gents, please make sure you're following at the SOS pod on Instagram, on Twitter. That is the SOS pod. And we are on YouTube and you can see our beautiful faces. We put makeup yes. on for this. Um, even you though this is self-love podcast. I have a cute necklace on. <laughs> Cute but we're on. on YouTube. It's so gorgeous. We are on YouTube. <laughs> SOS with Molly and Alyssa. You got to check this out. Uh, and um, we are on every uh, streaming service. Google, Amazon, new. Oh, yeah. Um, new. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Check us out everywhere and subscribe and leave us a five star review. Yeah. Yeah. So here's to turning meltdowns into magic. Yeah.